0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a, a pleasure to be with you here this morning, and I want to express appreciation to my family and to friends and colleagues who are here in support as well. I'd especially like to say thank you to my sweet wife, Connie, for her support over these years and for all of the many things that she's done to make our life an enjoyable experience. In a recent uh, priesthood corps meeting in my home ward, The instructor began the lesson with a personal experience he had while serving as a bishop of a BYU ward. A young woman in his ward shared with him a concern that she was not achieving her academic goals because she had to get up so early each morning in order to work. Her parents had both been killed by a drunken driver who had had ignored a stop sign. Like many of you students here, this young woman was working going to classes, and developing her personal financial independence. The discussion in our high priest group that, that morning followed this under, introductory story. We focused on why we have challenges in our lives. Are these challenges due to transgression? Are they simply random activities that incur in everyone's life? our challenges and their consequences created by the choices that we make each day. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said the following about the challenges we face. Though Satan may rejoice in our afflictions, whether physical, mental, or spiritual, which befall mortal men, it is not to be assumed that he has the power to impose them, except in isolated instances where people have complied with laws which permit such an imposition. Otherwise, Satan would shackle all men with, with ills so drastic as to destroy them." In his great discourse in about 124 BC, King Benjamin instructed us to put off the natural man and become a saint through the Atonement of Jesus Christ and become as a child submissive meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon us, even as a child does submit to his father. Father Lehi some 400 years earlier taught Jacob, his firstborn son in the wilderness, for it must must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must need be a compound in one. Bruce and Marie Hafen have suggested the following Opposition is a central part of immortal life, of mortal life it may be the primary difference between what life would have been in the garden and what it is in mortality. It is the difference between being green, untested, and inexperienced, and becoming ripe, seasoned, tested, and having a mature understanding. How different from innocence. For if there is is only innocence, there is little meaning. Mortality presents us with a compound in one, a deliberate mixing of righteousness and temptation, holiness and misery, without which there could be no purpose in the end of life's creation. Continuing on this same theme, Bishop Glenn Pay said that sometimes we may cry out, What have I done, to, what have I done wrong to deserve this? Often tribulation comes into our lives not because we are doing something wrong, but because of what we are doing right. President Merrill J. Bateman at this very pulpit in January taught us that opposition, disappointment, pain, suffering, and death are necessary to protect agency and to provide for spiritual development. In Psalms 3419, we are told, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And finally, the Prophet Joseph Smith was comforted by the Lord in the jail at Liberty with these words, My son, be peace, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thy affliction shall be a small moment. The Lord added, Know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. So while the lesson that Sunday morning in my priesthood quorum had started with a discussion of why we experience challenges, it concluded with the belief that it is more important to know how how we should react to these challenges. Again, in the words of Bishop Pace, We don't seek the unpleasant things in life. We don't look for pain and suffering. However, we should recognize that trials and tribulations come to all of us and they can be turned into spiritual stepping stones to sanctification and exaltation. As faculty in the Marriott School, I teach a managerial economics course in the Romney Institute of Public Management. In the economics course, we deal with the importance of making a decision, a choice, on how to best allocate limited resources to produce goods and services to satisfy unlimited wants. We all possess the very significant opportunity to make individual choices in our life as they pertain to economic decisions, personal family decisions, and those decisions that impact us in our spiritual development. We've all heard that old saying, is your cup half full or half empty? Are you sad that there are thorns on rose bushes Or are you happy that there are roses on thorn bushes? The question is one of vision, direction, focus, or choice. Another way about talking about direction or focus comes from my favorite cartoon strip, Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes, his playful toy tiger, are walking and talking. Live for the moment is my motto," says Calvin. You never know how long you got. You could step into the road tomorrow and wham, get hit by a cement truck. Then you would say to, you would. Then you would be sorry you put off your pleasures. That's what I say. Live for the moment. Calvin asks Hobbes, "What is your motto?" Hobbes replies, "Look down the road." <laughs> When we are faced with our challenge, a challenge in our life, we should too take time to look down the road. An optimist will see the cup as half full, while a pessimist will see it as half empty. Here is how some of my business faculty colleagues see the cup an entrepreneur sees that the cup is waiting to be filled. For a consultant, the problem would be that you have too much cup. (laughs) A finance professor would reason that we must first establish that there is a positive net present value in the cup filling before proceeding. (laughs) An accounting, accounting professor would insist that if the cup is a fixed cost and the water a variable cost, then the unused capacity should be considered a sipping expense. (laughs) A human resource professor would argue that management should assign a team to the project to assign the workflow of the water in the cup. (laughs) An information systems professor would inform us that through the efficient use of technology, we will be more productive in filling the cup. When my wife, who was a first grade teacher, read my talk, she said, if you were to ask a first grader this question, they would ask, what is the flavor of the drink in the cup? (laughs) Maybe they have the right idea. Finally, the marketing group would advise us that if we position the cup properly, we could probably sell it to both the optimist and the pessimist. (laughs) So how are we looking at our cup? How do we react to our life's challenges? I once heard a parable about a farmer who owned an old mule. The mule fell into the farmer's well. The farmer heard the mule braying and, after careful assessment of the situation, decided that neither the well nor the mule were worth saving. He enlisted his neighbors to help haul dirt to bury the old mule in the well and put him out of his misery. Initially, the old mule was hysterical. But as the farmer and his neighbors continued shoveling the dirt and it would hit his back, he would shake it off and step up. This he did, blow after blow, shake off the dirt and step up, shake it off and step up, shake it off and step up. It wasn't long before the old mule, battered and exhausted, stepped over the wall and out of the well. If we face our challenges and problems in the same way and respond to them in a positive way, we, too, can realize the benefit of our choice to see that the cup is half full. I would like to share with you this morning a true story from the life of a young woman. I share it not to make you feel bad or to scare you, but to help us realize that some people can go through terrible trials in today's world by perceiving that the cup is half full rather than half empty we can survive and keep the important things in our life in perspective. She grew up in North Hollywood, California, not Beverly Hills, but Hollywood in a ghetto area. Her parents were not married when she was born. Her parents were alcoholics. And each year they were together, they would, they would drink. They drank more and more. After her parents had two more babies, another daughter, and a son, they finally did get married. And although they loved each other, the parents abused one another verbally and physically. Life at school was not much better for their daughter. It was hard to be popular because she didn't have nice things to wear and ate free school lunches. Gangs were prevalent, and more than once others threatened her life with knives. Many of her childhood friends had already made bad choices related to drugs, drinking, and ended up in juvenile detention centers. During this trial, she decided that she was going to be different. She did not want this kind of life forever. She began to have a determination, a goal, a focus, a conscious decision to make a better life for herself. Her mother passed away when she was 13, leaving her to care for her younger brother and sister and their alcoholic father. One night, two years later, she took her younger sister to their bedroom to sleep since her father and his friend were drinking excessively, now in her own words. I woke the next morning to find my brother face down on the front room floor and my father on the back porch. During the night, this man had murdered my father and my brother over a meaningless argument. I trembled as the man began to tell me of the most horrifying thing I had ever heard. He told me that if I didn't do exactly what he said, that he would not hesitate in shooting me also. I prayed continually to the Lord, knowing in my heart that there was a God to help me. Even though I did not belong to any Church at that time, I had the faith and the courage for my prayers to not give up. This man kidnapped us and drove around all day trying to find some money so he could get out of the country. I suggested that we go to my aunt and uncle's house so he could use their telephone. While he was occupied on the telephone, my sister and I were able to go out the back door and run down the block to another home where we called the police. After this terrible ordeal, my sister and I went to live with our aunt and uncle. Growing up, I remember some of the exposure that I had to the Mormon Church. Many of my friends would talk about going to seminary, but I didn't really understand it, although I listened. I listened a great deal to what they had to say. I entered high school and found a friend who became very close to me. She was a member of the LDS Church. I proceeded into my school year with an attitude to make myself the best I could be and to succeed in my schoolwork and to obtain good grades. During the summer, I started going to church, to church dances with my LDS friend. At one of these church dances, she introduced me to a young man who, in turn, introduced me to the Church. And I started having the missionary lessons. I was scared and a little hesitant, but I knew that there was a God. And after reading the Book of Mormon, I received a witness of its truthfulness. I was baptized six weeks later. The Book of Mormon gave me great strength when I had to testify against the man who had committed this terrible crime against my family. (laughs) The struggle in the life of this young woman has a happy ending because of her determination to see life's challenges as the springboard for positive change. The challenge helped her to focus, to seek for direction in her life, and to make choices that have created greater spiritual awareness and happiness. This morning I would like to share with you three thoughts on what we might do when, upon life's billows, we are tempest-tossed. First, it is important for us to abide in the ship. In Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul was en route to Rome when the cargo ship he was on hit a violent storm. Buffeted by winds, it was driven off course and the seafarers feared for their lives. After 14 days of tossing at sea, they finally neared land. At that point, reading Paul's advice to the men on board, we are provided with an insight of how we might learn to deal with the challenges that come into our lives. In verse 31, after several of the men had contrived to escape by stealing the lifeboat, Paul gives us his practical advice, as stated to the Centurion and to the soldiers on board the boat. Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Abide in the ship. Stay the course. Stay with what we believe to be important and true. Don't allow the winds, the hardships, difficult people, the buffeting of life to deter us from our spiritual objectives. Remember that we are children of our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He is kind, gentle, and loving. Remember that our family gives us purposeful living, except that life may not always be fair. This is the time in our life when we have these challenges to abide the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the time to continue our prayers, to continue to attend our church meetings, to search the scriptures, To go to the temple and to trust in the Lord. How often do we read our patriarchal blessings to help us abide the ship? The gospel was restored for us. The Lord will answer our prayers. He is mindful for us, He is mindful of us, for we are His sons and daughters. Second, it is important for us to seek counsel and comfort. When we are burdened by a difficult challenge, it is a good time to seek counsel and comfort from those who know and love us the most. Certainly at, the, at these times of discouragement, we can turn to our ecclesiastical leaders, to priesthood brethren, and to our professors for guidance, comfort, and direction. But this is also a wonderful opportunity to turn to our parents, our grandparents, and to our extended family for their vision, for their focus, and for the direction in our choices. There are dangers in the world that our parents may have experienced or situations that we might be able to handle better with their counsel and direction. Their counsel and comfort will aid us through our decision-making process. They can help us whenever we are riding out the storm in our life. I will share with you another story, that of Melanie, and how she was assisted by her family during a storm. Melanie stared straight ahead. The storm was getting worse. She watched the windshield wipers go back and forth. Poor Grandpa, thought the girl. He looks worried. He hates driving in this kind of weather. Melanie was worried, too. She had never been out in a storm this bad. She closed her eyes and tried to forget it. But just then, she was thrown forward. The car jerked to a halt. Grandpa, are you all right? She cried. No, Melanie. He said, he said in a very weak voice, We need help. I think I'm very sick. The girl looked at her grandfather. His face was very pale. She could tell he was in pain. Grandpa, what is it? The old man said slowly, My chest aches something awful. I need a doctor. Please, child, open my collar. Melanie leaned over and unbuttoned her grandfather's shirt. Tears ran down, tears ran down her face. No time for crying, he said softly. Too much to do. I got us to the side of the road. I can't go any further. You've got to drive the car. But I don't know how, cried the girl. I know, said her grandfather. I'll tell you exactly what to do. We'll take it step by step. The scriptures call it line upon line. Melanie thought of all the time she had dreamed about driving. She had always thought it would be easy and fun, but not now. Melanie helped her grandfather move to the right side. Then she climbed over him and behind, and in behind the steering wheel. Open your window. You'll have to fix the side view mirror. Check the rear view mirror. OK, now start the car. Now put your left foot on the brake, hold it down, and shift into drive. You're doing fine. Put your foot on the gas pedal very gently, and don't worry. We'll be fine. Grandpa leaned over toward the steering wheel and pushed a button under it and then fell back into his seat. Melanie took her foot off the brake and pressed down on the gas pedal. The car started forward. She held onto the wheel and steered as best she could. Why are those lights flashing on the dashboard, she thought. Is something wrong with the engine? There was so much to remember, so much to figure out. She brushed the tears out of her eyes. Melanie could see a car coming down the road. It was headed straight for her. Just in time, the car veered out of the way and stopped. Is everything okay?" yelled the other driver. No, Melanie shouted as they rolled rolled the window down. Melanie did as she was told and brought the car to a halt as the other car pulled up behind her. Within a half an hour, Melanie, her grandfather, and the man who had helped them were at the emergency room of the hospital. How did you know something was wrong? When you saw our car, questioned Melanie. I saw your lights flashing, he replied. But how did they go on, asked Melanie. The man replied, most cars have a button under the steering wheel for flasher lights. Maybe you hit it by mistake. Melanie smiled and said, no, I, I didn't hit it, but I know who turned it on. We enjoy knowing that we have a living prophet, bishops, priesthood quorum leaders, parents, and other family members and friends who are there to turn on the warning flashers for us during our times of challenge and difficulty. They are there to provide comfort and counsel. In addition to abiding the ship and seeking for comfort and counsel, the third and most sustaining influence of all during life's difficult challenges is to embrace the love and Atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verses 25 through 36, John the Baptist preached one of the the greatest sermons ever delivered on the divinity of Jesus Christ and the obligation that we have to accept him as the Son of God. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well teaches that the peace of the gospel is the living waters that he offers to all men. Following his long journey from Judea, the Lord was physically tired, hungry, and thirsty. And yet, the, and yet took the opportunity to teach the simple truths of the gospel. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw, to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, Asketh a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give to me drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Notice the change now as the woman addresses him. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then housed thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The Savior then told her to go and get her husband and return. She said, I have no husband. The Lord reminded her that she had had five husbands. The woman replied, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Then Jesus preached the gospel to her and testified of our Heavenly Father. The woman replied unto Him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. As the woman at the well was taught more about the Savior, she progressed from calling him a Jew to sir to prophet, and finally she referred to him as the Messiah. Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? We too can turn to him, the Messiah, to the Messiah during our times of opposition and know that because of his great love, he will not abandon us at our time of need. President Gordon B. Hinckley provides us with additional insight into this life. Anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. The fact is that most putts don't drop, most beef is tough, most children grow up to be just people, Most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are often more dull than otherwise. Life is like an old-time rail journey, delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts interspersed only occasionally by beautiful landscapes and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. Sometimes the struggles and oppositions that we have in our life will be there to be challenges for us we can become stronger by dealing with these difficult challenges and by not allowing them to cripple us in our spiritual progression during these stormy days remember first abide in the ship stay in the course of the gospel second seek for counsel and from and comfort from those who love us the most and those who are in authority and third Embrace the the love and Atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our college convocation in April, the faculty-staff student choir sang a beautiful song by Joyce Elaine Ayers, Go Ye Now in Peace. Let me close my remarks with her words. Go ye now in peace, and know that the love of God will guide you. Feel His presence here beside you, showing you the way. In your time of trouble, when hurt and despair are there to grieve you, know that the Lord will never leave you. He will bring you courage. Know that the God who sent His Son to die that you might live will never leave you lost and alone in His beloved world. Go ye now in peace. Go ye now in peace. To His love and comfort I bear testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.